Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Jay, we are getting closer and closer to Q4 with each passing day. We are, and, uh, and Big Ten football is back, Tom. Yeah, that another breaking news. Yeah, just happened uh, as we were recording this. So that's exciting. So I can uh, count down the days until we lose to Ohio State. Us being yeah, Michigan, yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And we'll see if any of this, uh, you know, if, if there's any students or other fans at the games. I feel like here in Michigan, at least, I just saw a new headline that, uh, you know, for our listeners who aren't local to this area, um, Grand Valley State, which is a kind of a, you know, mid-sized school and outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, they just ordered all students to stay in place for the next two weeks after uh, 600 students tested positive for COVID. So, oh so it'd be an interesting, uh, it'd be an interesting, uh, you know, approach to the school year all the way around. But, um, but, you know, if they can make football happen, that'd be great. Even if it's empty stadiums, because it'd be good to see that back on campus. Yeah. Well, same thing's happening at Michigan state and colleges all across the country too. This, the, I mean, it was bound to happen, but well, another right of autumn, Jay, to really uh, shift gears sharply and uh, is sort of planning. So I mentioned Q4, and as much as I love watching football, uh, my business days will be spent thinking about how we are planning for the fourth quarter and beyond and how we're doing that for our clients as well. Yep. And yeah, so you and I have been talking a lot about planning lately on this podcast in our thought leadership writing Um but I wanted to, maybe we should start sort of at the beginning, which is the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where to start. Um, and, you know, we've, we've touched on this issue of what we'll call and re- refer to during this episode as positioning uh, on prior episodes. But I think it'll be a good opportunity for a fresher course and perhaps a, a, even, a, even a deeper dive. And I thought we could kind of frame this discussion and, and how it relates to, um, you know, attorney business development and thought leadership by just asking everyone to kind of envision a scenario. I know it's difficult these days because I'm going to ask you to envision a scenario in which you're in a a networking setting, say at an event or conference. And, you know, let's hope that by the new year, we will be back in that type of scenario. And, And if so, you think about, you know, you're attending an event and all of a sudden someone walks up who you recognize as the general counsel Uh, for a company uh, who would be essentially a dream client of yours. And um, you know, you know them, but they don't necessarily know you. So, but they're nice enough, you know, you're sort of standing awkwardly by the uh, food table and they come up and they. uh, Now this is suddenly very relatable, Jay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Completely. Drink in hand, kind of, you know, awkwardly gazing around, uh, maybe flipping, you know, flipping through your phone and, and trying to avoid uh, an awkward encounter or whatever, or just figure out who, who you might talk to. But this person comes up and, and introduces themselves to you. And then, you know, they uh, tell you a little bit about themselves. And then they, they say, well, tell me about you. Uh, you know, so what do you do? Uh, and, you know, many, too many people, I think, are confronted with that situation and don't really know what to say. And that, Positioning is the thing that can help you to, uh, 
respond more effectively in situations like that and in a multitude of other situations that we'll get into during this episode. Um, but you know, positioning, like as we mentioned, it's essentially boils down to you know, how do you present yourself to the market? And you, know, you have to take a step back and understand first as part of positioning, what is your market? So I think, um, you know, th- we'll, we'll get into this uh, kind of is in an organized and, and somewhat sequential fashion. But I think that's essentially what we're talking about when we talk about positioning is like, who, you know, who are you? Uh, what, what is your value proposition, essentially? And, and who are you targeting? And how does that relate to the marketing and business development activity uh, you're doing? Anything you want to add to that, Tom, just as well, an intro? Yeah, because you joked about the awkward moment in one of our very first guests uh, brought up uh, awkward moments, say, at more social gatherings, like maybe a backyard barbecue or whatever. And we're going to talk through the, the, um, the value in narrowing. But one of them, one of the, the key points of it is that it does help you avoid awkward moments because when your market is literally anyone, so for us, let's say we're a marketing company and anyone could be our client that when somebody does come up to you and says, Oh, what do you do? You suddenly feel awkward. Like you have to be in a position to pitch and to sell. And this is your moment. Somebody finally asked and I'm going to start spewing things at them. And I'm going to go into this awkward sales pitch. Now I've put the person who asked the question in an uncomfortable position. And now the two of us are having an uncomfortable dance and both of us want out. That's what happens when the market is literally anyone. When the market is someone very specific, in our case, law firms, and my buddy who owns a manufacturing company comes up to me and says, what do you do? I can tell him without feeling like I'm pitching him. If that person happens to run a law firm or is an attorney looking to build a practice, then he's going to want to hear that I have the perfect solution for him. So anyways, We'll get there, but I just want to point, because you mentioned these awkward moments, and as somebody who specializes in awkward moments, uh, being an introvert, I just thought when Scott said that, he said, yeah, you're giving only the right prospect the pitch, and everyone else just gets a little bit about you, and that's fine, and you're not pitching. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we've we've sort of started to define the problem here, um, and, and maybe we can just go into that a little bit more, but before we get into the solution and what what effective positioning offers. Um, let's just talk maybe a little bit about uh, some of the some of the problems if you don't have good positioning, um, and and some of this see if some of this might f- feel familiar to you. But uh, I think you know if 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 you're if you're looking at this and you're thinking about well you know do I have effective positioning um, you know you if or let, maybe we'll flip it around and say like if you don't have effective positioning. Um, you're probably always feeling like you're spreading yourself uh, yourself a little bit too thin, right? You're 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 falling into the classic all things to all people trap, um, and as a result of that, you're probably taking on too many opportunities. Um, your clients aren't ideal in the sense that you know they're in a bunch of disparate areas of uh, of industries and dealing with different issues. So um, you're you're constantly trying to keep all of these balls in the air or, or sp- uh, plates spinning that, uh, you know, you're trying to keep up with every day sort of spent dealing with these urgent problems. And, and you never f- probably seem like you feel like you have the time to really dig deeply into long-term um, impactful and important strategic issues. Um, and then, you know, you're probably all, at the same time looking out at the marketplace and recognizing that other people are doing it differently. Um, they 
they essentially, I mean, I think, I think the feeling that you get when you have effective positioning is that you're, you're gaining traction. Um, essentially, you're moving in the right direction. Um, you're growing your practice. Uh, you're creating leverage in your practice in the sense that you're able to start implementing you know, more scalable systems and processes and build a team underneath you. Your marketing is more effective and more dialed in. Um, so essentially, it's this contrast between sort of the, the frantic, um, uh, frantic nature of a practice that doesn't really have any focus to it, um, where you're sort of a generalist, just kind of taking in whatever comes your way, versus someone who's very strategic and thinking um, effectively about, you know, who is their ideal client? How do they position themselves to that marketplace? And how do you then scale, you know, your practice as a result of that? Because once you do have effective positioning and you can really identify with specificity, you know, I do X practice for Y client, um, then everything sort of falls into place in terms of your marketing and business development as well. So I think, you know, if if you're feeling like you are, Um, not as productive as you'd like to be, you're having trouble finding time for marketing and business development. Um, You can't seem to uh, gain, you know, traction, as I said, with clients, you're not generating enough leads. The leads you are generating are not of high quality. Um, You're not able to charge as much as you think you should be able to, or you see others in your marketplace charging. It probably means that you have a positioning problem. Yeah, and I would say you brought it up right there at the end, but where I was going to go with it was the when everything is a potential opportunity, you tend to chase down everything. And in doing so, it's almost counterintuitive, but it, it, you fall into this trap where you actually start discounting your price or your rate or your budget because every opportunity is there, you think, for the taking, and I don't want to lose it, so I'm going to discount what I might otherwise charge uh, somebody who is hiring a specialist, say. So if you get into that trap where you're, you know, the quality of the leads is low, ten, that tends to manifest in itself where you start kicking yourself for budgeting things too low or discounting your hourly rate or something. Yeah. So I guess we, we touched upon a few of these, but maybe we'll just reiterate a few of the uh, the benefits of having a more narrowly focused positioning. Um, and again, I think one of the, one of the, primary benefits is that it just makes marketing far easier and that that is because you can you can really identify very clearly who you're trying to reach um so you know again again to use an example let's say that you're a um you know a transactional lawyer and you focus on an industry vertical like life sciences um say you're practicing in in minnesota where a lot of those companies reside um you're going to be able to pretty easily identify, um, you know, you, you'll be able to make a list of, of in-house counsel that are at the companies that, that do that type of work. You're going to know what industry associations they're members of, um, what websites and trade journals they read, what events they attend, all of the things that allow you to then become part of that network or that ecosystem um, and build a specific marketing plan around that. But now consider the alternative, which is you don't have any focus, you don't have strong positioning. It's next to impossible. Everything you're going to do is going to be of general nature and you'll be bouncing from idea to idea and tactic to tactic without any real relevance or effectiveness uh, to that approach. So I think that's that's one really big one. Um, an, another one, you know, certainly 
experts, those perceived as specialists, which happens through the positioning, um, are able to charge more. And then oftentimes overlooked is that having strong positioning allows you to have more power in the attorney client relationship. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're not, if you're see, if you're simply seen as a commodity, all someone's going to do is kind of push you around like a vendor. Um, they're going to compare your price to the price of other people who they consider interchangeable. But if you can be seen as a meaningfully different, well-positioned attorney, well, then they're going to look past price because they're going to value your expertise. Um, and as a result of that, you may be the only attorney under consideration um, and, and price will become le much less of a consideration. So, uh, so as a result of that, I think, you know, that, that also plays out in the, um, in the, you know, business development process as well. One of the, one of the things many lawyers struggle with is the, um, the cost of the sale. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you don't have strong positioning and you're not generating those inbound opportunities from clients, you're going to be doing many more proposals, responding to RFPs, chasing work. Um, if you do get an opportunity, you're probably going to have to go see the client. Um, they're going to require a lot from you to get over the hurdles that they have uh, placed in front of you, the obstacles to, to hiring you, because again, they don't see you as all that different from anyone else. Um, whereas the, the well-positioned expert um, can reduce the cost of the sale. And, and by that, I mean, not just monetarily, but in terms of your time and resources. Otherwise, um, you can get to you know, the decision point much more quickly and not have to jump through all the hoops that a, uh, you know, a commoditized lawyer might have to. So th those are a few things, but I think those are important. Definitely. A couple other things come to mind is one is, you know, think, put your, as an attorney, put yourself in the shoes of a potential client who has a problem to solve themselves. Um, call it matter X, or maybe we'll use an analogy and say they have a plumbing problem. Okay. To use it off industry analogy. Somebody with a plumbing problem doesn't go and ask around, Hey, does anyone know of a, a handyman who can do plumbing? They say, who's got a good plumber, right? They want the specialist who understands the discrete problem, you know, of plumbing. Similar to attorneys, they're going to ask around or they're going to do a Google search or some way of finding the specialist who knows how to solve problem X, not the generalist who has, does problem X and solves problem Y and problem Z. So you want to be the person that comes to mind when somebody either asks for a referral or you want to have content and positioning on your website that if somebody is doing some sort of search and they're trying to put a short list together of people they don't know, that your site not only performs well in search, but that when somebody lands upon it, they say, aha, this is the person I was looking for. Not like, all right, well, they do a ton of stuff. Let me see if plumbing's on the list, right? Use the analogy. So it makes you eminently more discoverable when you are narrowly positioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so with that said, I think a good transition here, Tom, would be to think about, well, you know, just with all these benefits of, of narrow focus, why do so many attorneys resist um, specializing or, or narrowing their focus? And I think it, it comes down to it, it feels risky, right? It's, it can be nerve wracking and, and few attorneys relish the idea of, of essentially scaring off new clients by narrowing their focus. I mean, by, by saying yes to more narrow positioning, you are necessarily saying no to certain clients. And, and I think that's a, a, a definite positive trade-off 
um, because you know there's because of the benefits we describe, but it it doesn't mean that it doesn't feel risky. Um, so you know instead of instead of narrowing their focus, you know many attorneys continue to suggest that they can help all clients in many different industries uh, with many different issues, and you know it can feel like you're checking all the boxes, like you're leaving open the opportunities. Um, you know, look no further. I've got you covered for everything. And that's kind of the approach to marketing, whether that be in your website bio, your LinkedIn profile, or just your general, quote, elevator pitch that you deliver to prospective clients. Um, but, you know, if you're not finding that that approach is actually uh, resulting in what you were hoping for out of your practice, um, you know, you've got a, you've got a, you might have a, a, a fair amount of clients, but it feels bloated with the type of clients who are asking too much of you um, for too little pay, and it's really preventing you from moving forward. So um, I think, you know, in light of that, what we really need to do uh, if we're, we're struggling with this issue of positioning and narrowing focus, it's, it's, it's time to sort of rethink risk, right? Where, you know, what is, what is more risky? You know, uh, positioning yourself more narrowly and effectively, um, which may turn off certain clients, uh, or just maintaining the status quo where you don't, you know, again, you're maintaining the all things, all people approach where you're not gaining traction and there's no real long-term strategy in place, right? That's the real danger. I mean, I think if, 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 if we look back over, say, the past 12-month period and you think, well, if I had done the work, put in the effort to to really dial in my positioning 12 months ago, I would have probably been much further along today than I otherwise am. Um, and if you look forward another 12 months, if all you're do doing is maintaining the status quo of the generalist approach to your practice, well then guess what? You're, you're gonna be in the same place 12 months from now as well. Um, so yeah, there's some risk involved. It doesn't, it feels a little risky. Um, it's not, you know, it takes some work, it takes some effort, uh, but, the payoffs there down the road. And I think that's what we really need to be thinking about is taking a step back outside of our practice, the day-to-day -day grind and thinking about what our long-term objectives are. And I think one of those should be focusing on positioning. Yeah. And I would invite readers or sorry, listeners to go back or readers because we've written on it as well on the site, but we've had guests on this show who have talked through what you just mentioned, which is this risk aversion in how typically, you know, an attorney might do it is, you know, the hedging of the bets. I'm going to hedge my bets. And if I include 20 practice areas on my website, then it's bound to hit somebody, but it ends up, you know, maybe attracting nobody. So what a couple of our guests previously have said, you know, allow us to, hedge your bets for you. So if you go into this with the positioning being um, a marketing initiative and not initially a practice management philosophy, it allows you to mitigate some of that risk. And what I mean by that is you're going to create very narrow positioning. It's going to live on your website. It's going to live in the thought leadership content that you produce. It's going to be in your marketing brochures. All of the stuff is narrowly focused. Now, if somebody comes along and has a huge pile of money and it's outside of that narrow focus, can you take it? Absolutely. Right. You can still service that client um, in the short term. You don't have to say no to everyone but you will have permission and you will have confidence to say no to the bad fits in the, you know, smaller engagements that are too much time and, and too less and too little pay. Um, you're still hedging to the point where you're going to accept outside of your narrow focus, but you don't, but your marketing initiatives are all going to 
drive towards the narrow focus over time. Cause you mentioned a 12 year or 12 month period. This does take time. You know, you're not going to turn the ship, the ship around overnight over time. You're going to start getting that reputation as the specialist and you will start to attract more and more of the ideal client, which is going to then sort of snuff out the air of the non-fits. And eventually you're going to be able to say no with greater confidence, even to a large engagement that is outside of your focus because you won't need to. That's gonna happen over a matter of months. It's not gonna happen day two. So if you were to reposition your firm in your practice tomorrow, um, nothing would change. You would have no risk because this is something that takes time and and maybe 12 months is the right time horizon to to consider and just say, you know, this is gonna, eventually change you know who i go after changes tomorrow but who i take maybe that evolves over a period of time and so um all right all that being said i guess let's tie this into thought leadership at this point so thought leadership is uh, is definitely correlated and and important uh, as it relates to positioning and basically um so I think if, if someone's thinking about, all right, I want to, you know, kind of want to explore this idea of narrowing my positioning, um, you know, what, what do I, what's involved with this process? Like, how do I, how do I leverage my narrow positioning for, for new business? Um, so, you know, if we, if we take one step back, the first thing you need to do is just simply come to the conclusion that you need to decide to decide, right? You, you need to pick something to focus on. Otherwise, you'll be, you know, you'll be in the same position. So it's not always easy, but it's something you have to do. It's, it's a necessary precursor to um, gaining the benefits we've described. So decide to decide, determine what your focus is. Um, so the way it kind of works is once you determine your focus, then you need to essentially articulate your claim of expertise. So you need to understand again, okay, you've decided, uh, you know, depending on how narrowly focused you want to get, uh, ideally, you're talking about a practice area for an industry vertical. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be that narrow. Certainly, you know, want to have you know one or the other. Uh, you want to at least have a, a narrow practice focus, even if you serve more than one industry, or you're providing some you know set of services to one to one industry. But ideally, if you can do one practice for one industry, that is where I think you can gain the most traction. Um, so then you articulate your claim of expertise, meaning in all of your marketing, again, your bio, um, your LinkedIn profile, you're starting to um, back up your focus through a, a claim of expertise um, to, to a particular market. And then here's where thought leadership comes in. Um, people are going to discover you uh, and start to understand that you are actually an expert and become become aware of you and begin to trust you through uh, the thought leadership uh, content that you're creating related to your particular market that you're focused on. Um, by creating that thought leadership, then you will, you will gain that awareness and start to establish trust, which will lead to new business, which will then reinforce your focus, right? Um, you'll, you'll become... Um, more, more of an expert through the work you're doing and creating more thought leadership and, and, and the, the kind of the flywheel keeps turning. Um, and, you know, you'll find that over time, the more well-positioned you become, you'll find that you're having much more success generating inbound opportunities. In other words, you're not chasing as much new business, which gives you more time to spend 
deepening your expertise and creating uh, better thought leadership content, which, you know, again, leads to more new business. So, so if you're thinking about how, you know, thought leadership fits into this puzzle, it's all about, you know, once you understand uh, what your focus is and you start articulating that, um, then you're reinforcing that through your thought leadership content, which is actually helping you in generating those opportunities. Which then, if we can come full circle, maybe, let's go back to that awkward moment that you described at, at a networking event. Um, and I'll give you a head start because I'm going to put you on the spot. So maybe stick in your head of an example who is going to say, I am going to focus on X discipline for Y market. So think of an attorney who could make such a claim, the uh, statement of, of expertise. All right, and so then I come up to you, I recognize you, or you're standing there awkwardly, and I feel sorry for you. So I come up to you and say, hey, I'm Tom Nixon. Uh, uh, pleased to meet you. What do you do? And you would say? Well, I think I would have a, a clear uh, understanding of, again, I would, I would introduce myself as an attorney, and I might say um, I specialize in, and ideally, if I'm at the right, uh, if I'm at the right event, then it's going to be related to the industry in which the person I'm speaking to also participates. But the key thing here is then I'm not going to continue. I'm probably not going to say much beyond that. What I'm going to then do is transition into a series of questions back at the contact who's just come up to me, demonstrating that I have a deep understanding of their industry um, because I'll have, I'll, I'll know the trending news that's happening. I'll know the salient issues and that that person is probably facing. I'll have a way to kind of through, uh, through questions back to the person, which is you know obviously the best way to connect with someone, which is to get them talking about themselves and not to talk all about yourself. But by doing that, I'll be able to demonstrate my expertise just simply through the interesting and pertinent questions that I'm asking. And you won't have any of that available if you're not the specialist to begin with, right? So if you're not narrowly focused and you are a generalist and you are at an event that is geared towards um, a, a specific industry or specific market, then, then you'll come across as a generalist. But if you are truly a specialist with a narrow focus, whoever that person that comes up to you and says, hey, I'm Tom Nixon, what do you, you know, who are you? What do you do? The answer that you have is going to, it's going to be legitimate. It's going to be interesting and it's going to be relevant. So it yeah. takes away the awkward moment. Yep. Yep. Totally. And, and so let's, uh, let's kind of wrap things up here, Tom, with uh, maybe I, I, there's a few tests of positioning that we can just talk about, which essentially are questions that you can pose to yourself uh, as you go through the journey of narrowing your positioning, just to kind of benchmark against and, and see if, you know, you're moving in the right direction. So I think, you know, one would be, are you feeling like more of an expert in your interchanges with clients? Um, are, are you perceiving that clients are seeing you as meaningfully different? Are you feeling, you know, again, this is very like more art than science, but are you feeling like you're not just simply being treated like every other lawyer and you're being treated as an expert practitioner um, in those, in those conversations where, you know, instead of, questions being, uh, you know, someone, everyone holding you at arm's length, they're really seeking out your advice and counsel because they see you as someone who's, um, who's different than, than many other lawyers out there. Um, you know, a second one might be, are you generating more inbound leads? Um, and are those leads more consistent with what you're 
uh, around what you're trying to build your practice um, within. So like a particular industry or a particular type of work. Uh, so, and, and for those, you know, who may not, I, I think everyone can kind of inherently understand the distinction between inbound and outbound leads, but inbound leads would be, you know, someone is reaching out to you um, to hire you. You're not having to go out and, and chase down that new business. Um, so, so, you know, if you're, if you're generating more and, and higher quality inbound leads, that's a really good sign that you have um, solid positioning. Um, as I talked about before, you know, cost of sale, if your cost of sale uh, gets lower and lower, meaning, you know, you're not having to do as many proposals, you're not having to spend as much time, you're not having to do as many revisions to proposals, as many pitches, all of those things that eat up a lot of your time and have, you know, a, a mixed success rate, well, then that probably means you have really good positioning as well. Um, are you able to raise your rates? That's a big indicator that you're well positioned. Um, the higher you're, you can bump your rates up, the better uh, your positioning tends to be because people do, uh, do value expertise. Um, and it, as it relates to content marketing or, or thought leadership, um, you know, I find that when someone is well positioned, um, and, and here's the paradox, I think some people would think, well, if I'm, if I'm narrowing the focus of my practice, I'm going to be narrowing uh, the amount of content ideas that I'll be, be able to generate. But in my experience, the exact opposite is true. When you're focused on a more narrow market, you'll have far more um, ideas coming your way just because you can go more deeply into topics. A, a generalist tends to have a lot of just you know surface level content, whereas a real expert who's narrowly positioned tends to have you know really deep, thoughtful content and endless um, number of ideas to uh, to touch upon. So, and then one final one, Tom, and then I'll, I'll throw it back at you. But um, also, and this is a big one too, is your, is your practice traveling in the sense that are you expanding your client base outside of your immediate geographic market? So uh, well-positioned experts tend to expand beyond, you know, artificial geographic boundaries, like, you know, the 60 square mile radius around where you practice, because, you know, that, that would be something a, a generalist would focus on because they don't have any, they're, they're really relying upon personal relationships to generate, you know, most new business or like media advertising within a metropolitan market. Whereas a well-positioned expert, um, people will seek them out same reason someone might get on a plane, fly across the country to go see a doctor. Same applies with a lawyer as well. And your thought leadership can help you to, um, to you know, again, expand those boundaries and, and, and reach into new markets to the extent your practice allows for that kind of thing. So those are, those are some tests of positioning that I think maybe, you know, are helpful to think about as you're going through the process of, of narrowing your focus. Yeah, I was going to use the analogy as well. The Mayo Clinic, for example, people are willing to travel great distances to get the best of the best or the Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic, whatever it might be. Um, and the reason for that is because if you're highly specialized, you're appealing to somebody who has a very highly specialized need. And now you've narrowed the competition. The field of competition has gotten extremely small if you're doing it right. So the, maybe that uh, counters the aversion to, or, or the fear that I'm, I'm narrowing my content categories or I'm, I'm too closely narrowing my field of prospects. Keep in mind, you're also, you're edging out competitors. If you are a specialist, not everyone can claim to be a specialist. And we had a guest, I think it was David C. Baker that made the point. So here's one last metric to see if you've narrowed either enough or too, too much. 
was it he you have a better memory than I have turned 50 as, as listeners know, was it he who said your number of competitors should be around 20. So if it's 200, you're too broadly positioned and now you have too many competitors and people don't need to travel to find you. Right. And they don't need to pay a premium because they can find 199 others that'll do it for cheaper and probably just as well. And uh, maybe just as generally, if you have two competitors, then you're probably too narrow because if there's only two other companies that, or law lawyers that do exactly what you do in the way that you do it, then maybe there's not a, we haven't proven that there's a big enough market for the, the service, but around 20 shows that you are highly specialized. You've edged out a lot of competitors just by the nature of what you do and who, to whom you do it for, but you're not so narrow. So whether it was David C. Baker that said that, or I dreamt it, I think that's a good barometer for, for how you measure whether or not you're too narrowly or not narrowly focused enough. Yeah, no, that was David Baker. So that was a, that was, I, th I think that that's, you described it perfectly. That's exactly what he would have, what he did say and what, and how he kind of um, encourages people to think about their market. Yeah. Not too big, not too small. Yep. Good. Well, not a senior moment then for me. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, with that, with that win, Tom, let's, uh, <laughs> let's wrap up. <laughs> yeah. And let's turn our attentions to the wins of college football season. Hopefully yep. there will be many for whichever team you're rooting for. Yeah, absolutely. It should be, it'd be nice. It's nice to get sports back on the docket, even though I'm not, a, I don't spend a tremendous amount of time watching. I will watch more of this fall just because it's been such a long break, but uh, it's, it's fun to have that out there. So um, yeah, you want to send us off Tom? Yeah. Thank you again for listening. And uh, thanks. Uh, great conversation, Jay. And we will see everyone or at least talk to everyone on the next episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.